And this is Moses Mo. And this is Carrie Denton. And I'm Poison Evie. We're all with the Real Cool Band. You're listening to The Manifesto with Billy Brew. Yeah. You indeed are listening to The Manifesto with Billy Brew. Happy Thursday morning, and thank you for making my show a part of your weekly listening habit. You're listening to us here on The Real 1100, WWWE AM in Atlanta, Georgia. That's conventional. That's over the airways. If you can't listen that way, you can listen online, streaming live wherever you are at real1100.com. Another great way to um, catch us would be on The Real 1100 app for your iPhone or Android. We're also found on the TuneIn radio app. We're also out there on iHeartRadio. The Manifesto with Billy Brew has a Facebook page. Uh, put that in the search engine and it should pop right up. We have all of our past episodes on there, uh, some interesting content, some cool stuff. So that's uh, always good to check that out. And also we take this show and we convert it into podcasts. And you can find our podcast on the Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts platform. would like to say good morning to Greg. He is definitely my therapist, no doubt about it. And this hour of the Manifest with Billy Rue is brought to you by Sulzer. Introducing Sulzer, a brand communications agency dedicated to helping companies with their unique marketing needs. No matter the size or scope of the project or client, Sulzer always starts with research and follow-through to create brands and campaigns that truly unite consumers with products and services they want and need. Capabilities include integrated campaigns, digital products and services, copywriting, content development, rebranding, new company logo design, website building, and much, much more. To find out all the capabilities of Sulzer and how they can partner with you and your company to meet your marketing needs, please visit their website at sulzerinc.com, S-U-L-Z-E-R-I-N-C.com, or call their office at 813-920-9825, 813-920-9825. Nine eight two five. Empowering brands, connecting people. That's Sulzer. Give those guys a call. They can certainly help you out if you are in some marketing needs. Uh, if you're a first-time listener to the show, thank you very much for uh, taking time to check out my show. I think you'll really find it entertaining. What we normally do is feature ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And my very special guest this hour is that and then some. He's also a very accomplished musician and author. He is a devoted father and husband, and he's also a son of the South. Please welcome to the manifesto, Mr. Robert Burke Warren. Good morning. Good morning, Billy Brew. How are you? Good, sir. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm coming. To, can you hear me okay? I'm coming to you from uh, a comfort inn in, um, in Utah. <laughs> Salt Lake City area or... Oh, well, actually, uh, we're, we're pretty close. We are, hang on a second. I want to give you the wrong. Uh, yeah, we're we are near uh, St. George, uh, Utah. Okay, yeah. what are you, what are you doing out there? Uh, I'm driving back east with my son. He spent the um, he spent the summer in California. He drove out there by himself. Well, he drove out there with his girlfriend, but uh, she doesn't drive, so he did all driving. And so now he's headed back to the Hudson Valley um, uh, of New York, and which is where I live now. And um, so I flew out to help him with the drive. So uh, we that last night was our first night, so we got as far as Utah. And um, today I think we're gonna we're just gonna drive through Utah, but luckily we're gonna go past some 
some really beautiful state parks and stuff. But it's such a different, you know, obviously such a different landscape from from where I live, and um, just so wide open, you know, wide open spaces and and uh, not a lot of trees. Oh, and, I bet not. <laughs> you know, but anyway, that's what I'm doing, and it's been uh, it's been a great summer. But um, uh, this is sort of how we're capping it off. He's going to spend a few days at home, and then he's going to go back off and, and finish off college. He's going to college in Connecticut. Um, and uh, in uh, Wesleyan, he's studying to be a filmmaker, and uh, oh, cool. and he is his senior year. Yeah, very cool. Well, to give the, the listeners a little bit of background information, you and I, Robert, grew up about a mile from each other in the Peachtree Hills area of Atlanta. Correct. And uh, I actually hung out more with your brother because he and I would play football at, down there at the uh, Peachtree Battle Shopping Center in that field. And, uh, and 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 Brit was impossible to tackle. I do have that vivid memory. I could never catch that guy. But uh, um, so that's how we know each other. You and I haven't really. We kind of tacitly touched base, you know, periodically. But uh, were you born here in Atlanta? I was actually born in Quantico, Virginia. My dad was a Marine, and uh, and I was born in Quantico. That's where, but that, that's where he was stationed. But uh, my mom grew up. In Atlanta, and Britt was born at Piedmont Hospital, and um, my mom was born at Piedmont Hospital. But my my dad was just stationed there. But I, I have no memories of, of Quantico because uh, not long after that, he and my mom split up, and she moved back to Atlanta. And so I, I I grew up in Atlanta. I was in Atlanta from the time I was a year and a half until I was seventeen, and then I moved to Athens for a year, and then I moved to New York. Okay, and I, I, every everyone I, every guest I have on the show has some sort of Atlanta connection, and certainly you are in that. What are your impressions of Atlanta at the time that you and I were growing up? Well, I uh, it's interesting the older I get, and now especially especially since I've been writing about it, um, you know, I've been writing a, um, a memoir about about my unusual upbringing at, at a time uh, that was particular to the South, in, in particular. Um, you know, I, I um, it was uh, uh, there was a. I, I always tell people it's a great place to grow up. It was um, it was this, especially in the seventies. Uh, it was a progressive. Uh, it, it was it was on the road to becoming what it is now, mm-hmm. which is a, definitely a multicultural. Uh, you know, uh, uh, very much a melting pot both in terms of diversity of, of ethnicities, but also music. and um, But that was all, all just beginning in the 70s, and, and I, I have vivid memories of, of uh, Piedmont Park. Yeah. And, of course, you know, and that bounced around through all different schools. I went to the public school system. I went briefly to Catholic school and then went back to public school. And um, it's... Uh, you know, and then I moved to New York, and then from New York I moved to the Hudson Valley. But it was—I feel really lucky that I grew up in a uh, an environment that had so many different, um, so many, so so much to choose from, and so many different outlooks and opinions. Like my my grandmother was a big part of my upbringing. She lived right around the corner from us. On uh, uh, she lived right on the corner uh, on uh, Lindbergh. She lives okay. on Lindbergh Drive. Yeah, okay. And, uh, and, and um, anyway, she's very conservative, you know, old school uh, Republican, and she co-raised us. And it was, I could tell that this, that the post, living, living in the post-Civil Rights Act, uh, Atlanta, 
you know, uh, in the 60s and early 70s, there was a shift going on where, uh, and so there were people that were not happy about that, and then there were people that were overjoyed about that. But they were all, everybody pretty much got along. And uh, so, you know, which is remarkable, you know, when you look at it today, it it was a remarkable time. But, I, I, you know, I just remember lots of lots of music, and and really, I really um, one of the things I really miss about the South is, is of course, the food. Um, and really? uh, uh, yeah, like classic yeah, Southern remember, food, I, I, or yeah, Southern food, yeah, yeah, Southern food. Like, I mean, New York is, you know, that I didn't miss food at all when I was in New York. I get anything? <laughs> I mean, New York, New York City, but where I live now, which is about two hours, two and a half hours north of the city. Uh, you know, it's a rural community, um, and there's not there's not a lot. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's got a lot. It's got a lot going for it. But food is, is not one of the things. But I, you know, I, I, uh, I it was uh, it was uh, it was a very interesting time culturally in yeah. the South. You know, and um, and yeah, I was around a lot of people who were um, uh, just I was around a lot of artists. You know, around a lot of really well educated people, especially when I lived in. Of course, Athens is college town, but but so there was this this uh, this strata of southern uh, life that um, that I do miss sometimes, and I and I love to tap back into it when I go down there and and, and visit. You know, it was it, it's funny. You know, my son uh, he he he's grown up in the Northeast. He considers himself a, a northerner and New Yorker. Um, but when he was a teenager, he started, he had a, this really wonderful English teacher and he started reading Flannery O'Connor. Oh. And, uh, you know, he got assigned Flannery O'Connor as, as someone to read when he was in high school. And, uh, and he, and he came to me after he had been reading some of her short stories and he was like, dad, he's like, I could, I, I can feel this in my blood. Oh, Which wow. is really cool. That's Which is really cool. cool. So, so what what how much of growing up in the south and, and particularly in Atlanta because Atlanta is such a different entity than the rest of the state of Georgia. It's like there's two different places if you yeah. think about it. Um what what did, what kind of influence did the south cuz you've lived more north than you have down here in the south now I guess at this point in your life. Yeah, I did cross that threshold a few years ago, yeah. But yeah. but since I I think but since it was so formative to me uh I I still consider myself and proudly will always say and will always stick up for the South. I mean it's it's uh you know, I, I um but um I'm sorry, what did you what was the question you asked <laughs> no, me about? Uh, no, no worries. I was just gonna say how much of that growing up in the South in your formative years influences you today as as a as a oh. man, as a father. Oh, well, you know, I just uh I let's see. I guess uh, there are aspects of the South that, um, you know, there, it, it, it's a little bit of a cliche, you know, but it is true, um, that, uh, myself and, and, and my brother and, and people that we know that, that grew up in the South. I mean, Britt's still in the South. He lives in Asheville now. Okay. And, uh, but, um, I, you know, there's a courtesy and there's a, a, a kind of a, a uh, Let's see, uh, joie de vivre, uh, kind of, mm-hmm. of, of, of certain things like, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, food or, or literature or, or, I mean, which is not to say that doesn't exist in, in, in anywhere else, because it definitely does. But, 
but there's I can feel my southernness come out um, when uh, when I'm around people who are who are diehard, and I've spent a lot of time around people who are obviously you know who are not from the south, and and there's a a, a viewpoint of of things uh, that that I feel like kind comes from from growing up and in the land where I grew up, where I, I felt like I I had to, I mean. This is just particular to how I was raised. You know, I was raised by a by a very uh, liberal uh, hippie mom and a conservative Republican grandmother, and which was a very interesting way to grow up in the Deep South. I bet. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And and um, but but it, what has stuck with me, uh, I believe, is is that those two very strong women who had very very different opinions about almost everything. <laughs> you know, they they uh, they 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 uh, they had to get along because of my brother and me, or they had to at least try. You know, and um, I bet you that created some like that, interesting dynamics in the come Thanksgiving and stuff. <laughs> that's one. That's one way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but a uh, lot of a lot of very interesting family stories, which I'm currently trying to get down on paper. But, but anyway, but yeah, but I have a I have a, a, a patience. I believe for certain things, and, uh, and especially when it comes to politics, because uh, you know, um, and cultural issues, I, I have a, a patience. I mean, my patience it does have a limit, you know, to oh, sure. it. But but when I but there's certain things when I see, and, and especially especially since 2016, you know, people will say, "How can this happen? How can they be like this? How can they say this? How can they think this? How? Why are they so pissed off? What? You know, whatever." And, I'll, and and there's never been a time where I've thought that I've always I've always thought okay well you know I've seen this before yeah and uh, you know what I mean I mean I feel like the uh, I, I feel like because of my upbringing and being in the South in that particular time I'm in less of a bubble I feel like than most of my peers I'm in less of a bubble I'm still in a bubble but I feel like I'm in less of a bubble um, just having grown up there and then lived in the Northeast. You know, but you're right in that, of course, the, the Atlanta itself is, is, is its own thing. I mean, yeah, I, it really was, I think I think I saw Killer Mike on the on a um, on maybe it's Colbert or something like that, and he said Atlanta is as close to Wakanda as you're going to find, uh, you know, in the world. You know, it's uh, it's it is, which is a good thing. You know, I, I feel like that's that was in the process of becoming when I was when I was a kid that the that this the voice of the African-American community was just, it was really starting to, to, to rise and, and assert itself. And, and, and the fact that that's, that that's come about um, uh, in the way that it has, uh, I think is, is, is a good thing. And, um, and, but that was just beginning when you and I were kids, that was just beginning. And, and we were just uh, doing kids stuff and we didn't realize really what was going on socially. You know, I, I just really. wanted to play I football mean, and, you know, that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, I I got I started getting an inkling of it when um I guess mid mid late teens, you yeah. know, and uh and and but yeah, at the time also, you know, one thing about it, I just I have to always come back to the music and the radio in Atlanta. And I feel like I feel like we were so lucky. We were so lucky that we had such a diversity of, of radio, you know, that we had WQXI, we oh. had 96 Rock, we had WRAS, we had, you know, V103. We had, 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. We had, I mean, and we would, uh, that was, I took that so for granted as a kid, you know, and, uh, but, but Atlanta radio and I, you know, in my adulthood, I've, I've met radio people, you know, people who are in radio and have been in radio in the Northeast for decades. And they're like, Oh yeah, that's a very specific market in Atlanta. There's this whole, or Atlanta is sort of the, the voice of the Southeast, you know, radio wise. And, but you know, that we could hear uh, everything from, uh, you know, bad company to the spinners, yeah. to, you know, to mother's finest to Charlie uh, Daniels band, Led Zeppelin to, or whatever. It was, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was amazing. How did your, where did you get your musical love? And when did you, do you remember an epiphany saying, I'm going to play music? Do you remember what kind of yeah. age you were? Yeah, I was 14 and, uh, Todd and I were really super tight. Todd Butler uh, yes. um, and I were, were very, were super tight and um, like inseparable. And um, he, his father, his father and my father were both musicians. Now, my father had died when I was seven, so he wasn't really, wasn't part of my life. But um, Todd's father was still very much alive. And uh, Todd became a guitar player when we were like 12, maybe 11. And, uh, just took to it immediately, and I was too uh, distracted by girls uh, <laughs> to do that. That is the age, and it was like, and it was like, um, I, you know, I mean, I loved listening to it. And Todd was like, he was using a music nut from the get go. He had like all he had LPs. We he went to show everything. Anyway, so so um, so he, uh, I went to a party. And somewhere, I don't know, I can't remember where, Jude Hills or something like that. And, uh, there was this band playing, this band of kids from like Westminster or something like that. And mm. they, they all had really nice instruments and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and the girls were paying so much attention to them. Um, they were playing covers, you know, yeah. and, and then I went home and I was, you know, I looked at like the quality of attention that they were getting from these girls. And, uh, and I thought, I want some of that. And then I, I went, I went, I went home and, and, uh, I told my mom I wanted to play bass. And then I took the bass to Todd's and Todd, uh, showed me how to play. And from the minute I started, um, I took to it really fast. And I had, I think I inherited some, some natural ability from my father. Yeah, well, and, thank uh, you. Who was, was a guitar player. Yeah. Why, why? Yeah, I immediately started playing out all over Atlanta. Yeah. Why the bass? I mean, I, I love the bass because I'm a drummer and I, I lock into the bass, but why bass? That's not the most glamorous position in a band. That's, I know. It's but it's the funny. most important I, to I, me. I, I think, I, well, I mean, Todd was already playing guitar, and I, 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 all I can say is I, um, I had, by the time I was 14, I was almost six feet tall, and I had really big hands. And, um, and but also the sound of the bass my ear always always goes to the sound of the bass and that might be because my mom always had a really crappy stereo i don't really know but but i but, I, but my ear but my ear always goes to the bass and i love like the bass lines and like wing songs and i love the bass lines and my zeppelin songs and that, that's where my ear would go okay and that's what that's what those lines are specific where that sits sonically in the in the you know in the sound that's where um 
that's where my ear would go. And and also, I just kind of took to it. As soon as I put it in my hands, there was a, a strange sense of familiarity to it. You know, I felt like one of those moments where it just felt really, because everything was really chaos in my life at that point. You okay. know, there was a lot of chaos in my life. And uh, and this one thing felt, uh, I don't know, felt, felt solid. And so, yeah, Todd and I played, and then within... Within I, within a year, I was playing like in carports and rec rooms and garages and stuff with various other guys who were playing. And uh, and within three years, I was playing in clubs, and uh, and that was the beginning of that that significant part of my life. And to me, maybe as a musician at the time, that seems like a long you know pay your dues. But in my mind, three years from just picking up the bass to playing clubs, that's a pretty fast ascension. To playing clubs. Yeah, it was crazy. It was pretty crazy. I mean, we got in. I got into clubs because uh, you know it was also new. It was such a vibrant uh, local scene in Atlanta too, which I was really fortunate. You know that you could play. There were so many little clubs to play, and by then it was like the early the early eighties, mm-hmm. and New Wave was really big, and there were all these bands, and you know you didn't. It was it was accessible, you know. It was very accessible, and it was a scene. It was something that um, I don't know. Nothing like it really exists where I live now, and I'm not sure. I would have to talk to somebody if there's a scene where kids are much less interested in playing in bands in general. I find now. I mean, do you do you find that that like there's kids today are are they're not they're not strapping on guitars and getting behind drum kits? I mean, they do. They they are doing it. Yeah. But they're not doing it quite as much well, as when we were kids. Yeah, and as so. you know, with technology, I mean, uh, it's easy to, to click and be a musician. You know, without any formal training, you just click here, click here, and you have a song. And and the organic playing, like you said, with the gu- with the guitar, pick up a guitar and the drums, I think that's a lost art. Now, I'm, I'm, I have two sons, 14 and 11, and they both play, and I'm grateful for that. My oldest plays guitar, my youngest plays drums. But, you know, they're also influenced with the electronic stuff, and click here, click there, and do beats and stuff like that. So... To answer your question, yeah. I don't know if, if if kids are picking up instruments as much as they used to when we did. Yeah, I don't. They're definitely not where I live, and but I, I, uh, they, I mean, thankfully they they are doing it. But but I mean, when I there seemed like there was a lot of bands in Atlanta, and uh, and, and and there was a, a little scene, a little sort of punk rock new wave scene, and um, and it was all, and also I, and one of the reasons that I that I got out there so fast is because that's all I did. I mean, I did, I just, I, I was not, not athletic and, um, and it, it was just a, it, I, I have vivid memories too, you know, I have vivid memories of playing Red Zeppelin albums in my basement and doing and listening to them over and over and over and over and over again and just trying to nail those bass lines. And, I don't. I don't really know how long I was down there in the basement in this totally dank, you know, nasty. Yeah. <laughs> and are you are you self taught, uh, Robert? Are you are you self taught, Robert? So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm self taught, but Todd Todd had been taking lessons at, uh, in Buckhead from a guy named Mister Woody, Mister Woody, and uh, so he became skilled. You know, he knew theory and chords and stuff like that, and. And I really loved hanging out at his house. And in order to hang out with him, I kind of had to. I, he was like, "Look, if we're going to hang out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got to let me teach you this song so we can play it together." And I'd be like, "All right." And so I, that became my uh, 
that became how how I learned him. And he was before he went before he quote unquote went punk. Uh, he was deep into um, like uh, Tim Pan Alley songs. Like he, I would go in and he was playing. Look at me, I'm a little You know, he'd be playing that. Yeah. So he went from doing from doing that to uh, that that was he was at the rare punk rocker who like knew chord theory and stuff. So anyway, so that's how I learned from him and sitting and drilling myself like maniacally for for years at a time until I was until I was ready to. To, to get out, of it. I just I enjoyed it. So I got so much pleasure out of it. You know, that's, that's and yeah, it did. It did work. It did work to get the attention of of the ladies. Um, <laughs> it did. It totally worked. Mission and, accomplished. Um, mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, but also I just I just I loved I loved. It. I remember I do remember the first time I was like playing with some guys, uh, and I felt like uh, that I was inside the song. You know, I yeah. wasn't just. And I'm sure you know what I mean. Where it's like you're not. You're not really thinking about what you're doing so much, you know. You're in the song. That's right. You know, as you're in the you're in flow with like what they now call flow. That's right. And uh, you know, and it was that was uh that was an epiphany, definitely. And I probably went when I was like fifteen or something like that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, speaking of Todd, um, you sent me a song that you're working on. It's a demo, uh, basically dedicated to Todd. It's called "If Not for You." Do you want to set that up a little bit? And we, I'd love to play it if you don't mind. Oh, cool. That'd be the first time it's ever been played. Outside my hard drive. Oh, well, I mean, I've played it live, but yeah, uh, he was. Um, I like I, I told you before. I've been writing and I've been working on a, a memoir of uh, of my uh, sort of distinctive, unusual upbringing. And um, I was what we call, you know, what they call a latchkey kid. And sometimes today I hear it referred to as a free range kid. And um, and I spent a lot of time at Todd's house and a lot of time. And there's a great Flannery O'Connor quote. Flannery O'Connor said, uh, I write because I don't know what I think until I read what I say. <laughs> I like that. That and sounds cool. Isn't that good? Yeah. It's really good. It's perfect. And it's like, and that in the process of writing about my childhood with Todd, I, I, uh, I realized how, um, just how crucial he was to my life. And so I wanted to write a song uh, dedicated to him. I've written a whole show dedicated to him, but the the song that you're about to play is is called "If Not for You" and Todd's song, and it's just about how you know we. Um, I don't. I, I honestly, everyone has a person like that or people like that in their life where you look back from midlife and you say, "God, you know, if not for that person, I honestly, I I cannot say they're so they were so crucial, pivotal to my life. Who would I be?" Had that person not crossed paths with me, who would I be? I, it's just there were so there's so much of me, so much of them in me. Yeah. So that's basically it. You know. So thanks for playing it. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, this is a Robert Burt Warren, and this is an early demo of his song "If Not for You." Enjoy. Trace a line from here to your heart Now I know I'll never know just how you knew What I could do And how to start But for you I don't know who 
taught me how to break the lock. Code breaker, you showed me how to translate. Soft tucker, you taught me how to walk the walk. Put a guitar in my hands, seal my fate. But for you, I don't know who I'd be. Welcome back to the Manifesto with Billy Brew, and that is Robert Burke Warren with his song. It's a demo form right now, If Not For You, and uh, that's a really good song, Robert. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, my Those songs are just getting out into the world. So. Well, that's it's, cool. Uh, and it's, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's been, uh, and it's been a while since I've sat down, and uh, I've, I've been a, a songwriter. I've done a lot of songwriting in the last God, 20 years, and um, but uh, I had not written a lot of songs uh, just in the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, I've written a lot of children's songs and, uh, and a few, but I haven't released any material um, into the world uh, uh, until now. And I'm, I'm about to start a campaign, a uh, my first ever crowdfunding campaign to to get that and some other songs based around this um, one-man show into the world. But uh, that was that was cool to hear. Thanks for playing it. Oh, my pleasure. It. And to me, it sounded not only uh, a tribute, but I I would classify it as a love song because you love that man. <laughs> I love him, man. Absolutely. But yeah, not, but not in a sappy love song way, but a, a, a true that's a true love song. Oh, well, thank you. That really means a lot to me to hear you say that because that is absolutely true. And um, and that's that's what I want it to convey is, is that um, – because I, you know, I, there's this deep sense of gratitude that I have about um, about Todd and about about his, there's so much of of, uh, of what he brought into my life that I'm grateful for, and um, and there's so much music that I love that is uh, an expression of, of of gratitude and and um, as humans, especially in our culture, it's it's um, it's hard to uh it can be hard to uh, you know accurately uh, convey that feeling and and that was what I wanted to do with that tune and I wanted to I wanted it to be upbeat I, you know when I started writing it I wanted it to be upbeat you know mm-hmm. and um and and but it really means a lot to me that you said that I, I appreciate it that, that that is exactly the intent of the song and um there's some other ones there's uh there's 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 a few other ones um and uh but yeah, there's a lot of Atlanta in this group of songs that I've been writing. I, you know, the uh, 
for years I was, you know, I've been, I've been writing and, um, and I wrote my novel is, is fiction, but whenever I would read interviews or, or, you know, talk to my, talk to people that I've met, you know, who are memoirists, you know, who write from midlife, you know, or thereabouts about childhood, you know, the, the fascinating thing is, is that you really do go back there, mm-hmm. um, in your mind. And, um, a lot of people say I can't write a memoir because um, I don't remember anything, or I don't. Rem- <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I mean that's that's Mick Jagger's that's Mick Jagger's excuse, which I totally don't believe. <laughs> you know, every other rock star has written like their the a memoir, um, and they're like Mick, it's kind of your turn, man. You're not getting any younger, and he's like, ah, I don't remember anything. Yeah, which I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's true. But uh, but but. Um, the more you, uh, the more I, the more I, I did it, the more I, I went back, and um, it was, uh, it's an interesting process. So I've been actually thinking quite a lot about, uh, you know, even more so than usual, the, the dual thing, you know, the, the duality of, of both um, raising my son and, and then sending him out into the world, and uh, and and then writing about my my upbringing in the South, and also at the same time, you know, I, I've um, the bitter southerner has which is based out of Atlanta you know has webzine has 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 published um several of my um essays and uh and it just it puts me back in that frame of mind and, and i also feel very and i'm stick and you know i think i said before you know living in the north i i i spend i've spent a fair amount of time sticking up for the south you know and because there is this misperception of of the south which mm-hmm. is you know like you know Pop culture doesn't do it, uh, doesn't help, you know, <laughs> there's in the or movies and, you know, TV and stuff like that. But, but I, um, I was just telling someone the other day that there's this, there's this type of, of Southerner. I was talking, we were specifically talking, we were talking about Memphis and we were talking about Alex Chilton and we were talking about all the music that came out of there, but also this, this scene, um, in, in Memphis, but also it applies to Atlanta and Athens. And, and my mom lives in Rome, Georgia, and it applies to there too. And that there's this type, there's these, there's these Southerners that have never really, this, that have never, at least not to my knowledge, uh, been represented in, in media or represented in, in movies. They have been represented in books, plenty. Mm-hmm. But, you know, where it's like the Southerner who is like, extremely well like really really well educated uh, but and but but also very erudite and uh and and cultured and um and you know it, it can basically like like the way if you ever heard a recording of like Tennessee Williams talking or William Faulkner talking you know it's people like that you know mm-hmm. or even Flannery O'Connor for that matter where there's this this deep tradition in the in the South that has has so much to do with uh, with the various uh, influences, whether it's the African influence, but also the influence of uh, you know the uh, like T. S. Eliot and you know writers like that, and and that are threaded into the South, and um, and the, and you know the people that sort of take on the story of the South. Um, the, the they face they take it on you know and they and they're like yes this is what we're this is the, the world that we're that we're living in it's a very conflicted world and it's got dark roots to it but at the same time there's beauty to it 
and it's a it's a work in progress and and um and it's there's so much about it that is that is beautiful and 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 worth representing in art you know i don't see that a lot and and i people you know they're like oh you're from the south oh like you know like gomer pile <laughs> exactly like, designing women you know, like, you know all that kind of stuff or just i mean yes exactly or designing women yeah, or Dukes of Hazard, or all that, you know, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. man. And they'd be like, okay, yeah, that's okay, yeah, but that's really not the end of the story, you know. That's like saying, that's like saying, oh yeah, you're from New York, you know. Oh, like Saturday Night Fever is that like your life? It's like Saturday Night Fever, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> your life is like The Godfather, right? That's what your life is like. It's like no, no, it's not. Oh, that's so funny. Now, I would be remiss, Robert, if I didn't mention, I would love to get your take on this. On uh, you, you In your early days of uh, in the burgeoning Atlanta music scene, you played uh, with a gentleman who people might know the name of RuPaul. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, can, yeah. Tell I us did. a little bit that about how that Todd. came about. Well, that, again, that was through Todd. He was like uh, – he got out of the house and got himself a fake ID. And uh, <laughs> first, the first the, – the first thing that he did was he he became part of the the Rocky Horror scene at, at the Silver Screen in um, in Peace Street Plaza and uh, the Silver Screen. Do you remember that old Repertory Cinema down Absolutely, there? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, that was kind of his literal and figurative sort of coming out. You know, that became his crew and. Um, and then they were all, you know, he was like 17 then. And then, um, and then, uh, you could, you only had to be 16 to drive, uh, in Georgia when we were kids. And, and, um, if I remember correctly, yes. as soon as you hit 16, you could drive anywhere. That's right. Didn't matter. You drive anywhere. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I tell people that now and they're like, that can't be true. I'm like, no, that's definitely true. And, and, um, so anyway, he 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 uh, through them he got he, they were like oh you got to go see these bands and there's this really great band that you'd love called the Now Explosion, and um, sure enough he would eventually marry the uh, Claire Claire Parker who is now Claire Butler uh, was his uh, became his wife oh, eventually, but um, but he saw the Now Explosion and the Now Explosion um, were very popular uh, sort of trashy funky band. Um, that was playing out in clubs, you know, six, eight, eight, and the mm-hmm. bistro and places like that, and and uh, weekends, and um, and they were playing, and they had this this six foot four black guy uh, sort of go go dancing and jumping up on stage, and with these two women that he called the U-Hauls, and it was RuPaul <laughs> and the U-Hauls, and they just had this they had this act, and so Todd went out and saw the Now Explosion, and then. Through them, he met Rue, and then Rue and Todd sort of hit it off. And Todd had never played in a band before, um, and he had been playing guitar like five, six years by this point. But he'd never played in a band. He was very uh, shy, you know. When mm-hmm. we were kids, he was very overweight and he had really bright red hair, and people made fun of him a lot. And uh, but this emboldened him, this music scene, you know. And so Rue said, you know, let's let's make some music. And so Todd's like, yeah, well, my friend Robert plays bass. And I had already been playing out in the clubs with uh, with a band called The Latest, which featured Teddy Murray. You know, you know of Teddy. Of course, you yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teddy was the guitar player, and uh, and he and I had already been playing out. 
like the bistro and then there was a couple other clubs we played uh we played the strand out in marietta mm-hmm. and uh so i was getting out there and 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 so todd said robert won't come on over and meet this rupaul guy and let's start a band or let's you know, so we did and then um and it was just the three initially it was the three of us and rupaul and a drum machine and these two women who he called the u-hauls it's rupaul and u-haul and then um and the band was called Wee Wee Pole. And um and we uh and we were together about fourteen months and I look back on that time and it's kind of amazing to me what we accomplished in that time. That we we toured, we went to New York City, we, we played uh I, I booked us a tour from my grandmother's kitchen. Oh, wow uh, on the phone. Yeah, I, I mean it was just I mean the now explosion, we became sort of protégés of the now explosion. They were very helpful in, in getting us. They gave us like phone numbers. They were like, you know, the, our first gig was opening for them um, and uh, at the uh, the nightery. And um, and so anyway, they uh, they were very helpful. Claire in particular was uh, was very helpful. And um, so we we got out there and we played in Birmingham. You know, there was some club in Birmingham, and um, and we played all over Atlanta. And, uh, so yeah, that was, uh, that was an adventure. And RuPaul was just getting his wings, you know, as a performer, he had, he had been on the American music show, which was, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, James Bond, uh, Julian Bond's brother was, uh, had a, had a show on, um, public access. And, okay. uh, and that was how, uh, and RuPaul was on there. And then we got on there and that was the early days of public access. And that stuff's, a lot of that stuff's online, uh, and I highly recommend if anyone wants to see something really, really, really entertaining <laughs> and strange <laughs> and very much of its day, very, very sort of early 80s lo-fi, uh, but just talk about, like, you know, southern to the bone, uh, eccentric uh, people, performers, you know, putting on wigs and dresses and and you know, affecting uh, or being you know, being different personalities. So RuPaul had done that. He that's where he had sort of begun to hone his his performer self. And but yeah, he called himself a superstar in exile back then. And uh, <laughs> and I've never in all the many decades that I have spent making music and and performing and being involved in theater and. Uh, and I don't think I, I ever met anyone quite so driven as as he was and still is. Yeah. And um I mean he was he was so <clears throat> so driven. I mean he was really uh his talent was really raw, but 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 playing on the stage with him, um it was it was wonderful to, to be uh on in a band with someone who just took it to the lip of the stage, like with so with such conviction. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, he was, even then, I mean, again, you can, you can go on, I, I encourage your listeners to go on, um, YouTube and, and, and type in Wee Wee Pole, W-E-E-W-E-E-E-O-L-E uh, in YouTube and RuPaul or whatever, or RuPaul early eighties Atlanta or whatever. Yeah. Incredibly, there's a treasure trove. Uh, and I thank thank God for, you know, this guy, Dick Richards from the, American Music Show and a couple other people who used to lug around those big old, you know, you know, bulky, heavy video cameras, yeah. of the, you know, of the, where you had to have like a briefcase with all of the 
battery in it and all that stuff. <laughs> and they would they would they would haul those things around to clubs. And I remember at the time thinking, God, those guys are getting on my nerves. They won't go away. But I thank God, I thank God that that they did what they did because they captured. And I mean, not just us, but a lot of a lot of this scene in Atlanta that was very vibrant and full of life. And it was it was people were like, oh, it was like a gay scene. And I'm like, well, that doesn't really I mean. Yeah, it was it was there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of queerness in the scene, but it was it was a it was again it was one of those melting pots. It was it was just you know it was theater kids and rock and roll kids and punk rockers and artists, visual artists, and you know people studying visual art at like Georgia State or UGA or whatever, thrown in with people who yeah maybe they're queer. I don't know you know maybe they weren't but who knows but but everyone was kind of together and there was not such a a, a frenzy. To, to label everybody, you know, it yeah. was just like let's just all get together and, and make some really cool art that we enjoy, and uh, and so that was uh, that was very much of its of its time, and um, and uh, and it, that was very uh, you know pivotal for me as well because it gave me it was a time when I really needed uh, to be uh, you know I uh, again having 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 a twenty one year old son now and and you know. Also, I've worked with kids a lot. You know, I've, I've been a teacher, and I and I try and tell kids, you know, um, you know, try and try and align yourself. Whatever it is you're doing, it doesn't matter what it is, but whatever it is, um, align yourself with people who kind of who make you feel brave, who push you to to sort of, uh, um, you know, take face your fear head on and and. Uh, and and just um, just do it, you know. Don't. You know, it, it, there are people who could do that, you know, and whatever it is. And I'm sure with you as well, you know. There's people where where it's just like you know. There's there's people who when you're around, you'll do stuff. That there's you will you will do stuff despite your fear, yeah. you know. And and uh, that's what that scene was like for me. And that was a real. It was a perfect timing. I really needed it then, you know. And. Uh, and I ran with it, and um, and so you know, whenever I see kids around other kids who who encourage uh, them to plow through their their fear, you know, that's that's what that scene was for me. I feel really lucky about that. How much uh, did your performance confidence grow just playing and watching Rue? A lot, I bet. Yeah, a, a lot. Because I mean, there were times when when um, when uh, you know. Where he would he would go over he would he would he would he would go over the edge and he would do something really insane and crazy and and you know and and floppy and and uh, he you know he was still he would not get his act together in total until he was pushing thirty really mm-hmm. you know and uh, and he um, you know but 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 nevertheless though uh, he would do things that that uh, just say things and and. Like I remember one time we played in Athens and REM was just getting big. This would have been '83, you know. So mm-hmm. Murmur was out and they were just getting big. You know, they were just starting. They were still, you know, quote unquote, a college band. But but everyone was kind of deferential to them and they were local heroes and and you know and, and everything. And we went and we played in that and we played at the 40 watt. And we got up and we, 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 we set up our stuff on stage. I think we were playing with Guadalcanal Diary. Oh. And um, 
and uh, I think we were opening for them. And uh, and RuPaul got up on stage, and there's all these people who you know they didn't know what what is what is, what is this? And he got up on stage, <laughs> and he basically because he's again six foot four, beautiful black man, usually very scantily clad. You know, not not always, but sometimes you go up there like in a diaper or a loincloth <laughs> and with a feather boa and, you know, painted yeah. like with war paint, stuff like that or whatever, you know, and uh, or with like I remember he had he had this pair of hot pants that were like three sizes too small for him. And they were like gold LeMay hot pants <laughs> and um, and <laughs> and just fearless. Absolutely fearless. I yeah, mean, you, you have to be the, to do what he did. You have to be fearless. Yeah, I mean, actually, when I say fearless, uh, and and it's a it's a reflex. It's not. I don't think that's accurate because I think he was. I think he was. He was actually terrified until until he got on stage. And once he got on stage, the fear was gone. And um, and so, uh, but anyway, he would get up there. Anyway, he got up there on the stage. And he was. He looked out in the audience, and he said, just at the top of his lungs, he said, "Where's Michael Stipe?" <laughs> He's like, "Where's Michael Stipe? Where is he? I love him so much. I love him so much. Where is he? Why isn't he here?" You know, just crazy. And it was what everybody else was thinking. Everybody wanted to know where was Michael Stipe. He was like, was, you know, that they were all local stars at that point. But it was so uncool to say it. Yeah, but he said it anyway, and he said a lot of stuff that I cannot say on the radio, obviously. Yeah, but, please, but please you know, <laughs> he, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to get y'all fined, but you can just use your imagination. But, um, but yeah, he was. Uh, but the main thing was is that he would do these things, and you know, courage is contagious. You know, yeah. cowardice is is contagious, and courage in any form is is contagious. And his his, you know, his bravery. Uh, it was. It was. It was. It was great. I mean, there was there was plenty of times when I got really embarrassed by 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 him, but um, but I don't regret that, you know, at all. And then, and then that would start a pattern of like throughout my life, you know, even after I quit that band and then uh, moved to New York and played in all these other bands and toured the world, and in um, one band in particular. Um, that that was kind of how it went, especially with people who front bands. Mm-hmm. You know, people who front bands generally uh, they're 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 wired differently than most people. They and they that's why people that's why people want to see them. People want to see other people be brave on stage. That's kind of that's that's partly what you're paying for. You're paying to hear cool tunes. You're paying to see a cool show. But you're also paying, or or whatever. If if you're not paying money, you're paying time and attention to watch somebody be courageous. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with that. Same thing with athletics. Like you're watching someone, you you're watching someone in a basketball game or or a football game or, or whatever, and you sit there and you're thinking, man, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can't do that. So you know, I can't uh, hit the baseball like that guy did, and I certainly can't be a front man like that. You know, like RuPaul was. So you're exactly right there. I pay for that. You would too. Oh God, yeah, I do. I still do. I, I, I will. You know, it's like the the riskiness of the whole endeavor. You know, it's a risk. Yeah. You're watching. You, you want. You want someone who's going to take risks, and while that will be, you know, that like I said, while it can be, it can be a little. Uh, 
if you're, you know, in the band and especially if you're of a certain type of personality, it can be, you know, whatever it can be. There was times when I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, I'm so humiliated right now. But, um, <laughs> I don't, I, I, I survived yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm better for it. Well, in the short time we have left, tell us about what you're doing currently in your community uh, creatively. I mean, creatively. I know you're working on these songs you know, with the demo we played, but what else are you doing? Uh, you do a bunch of things in your community. I do. I do. Well, I'm playing bass in a band, a traveling band uh, called The Mammals, which is based uh, out of Woodstock. And um, so I'm doing that. And like we're touring this summer. We already went to like the Midwest, went to Michigan and Wisconsin. We went to Colorado and Maine and the Northeast. And so I'm doing that. But I'm also um, uh, I'm working on this. Uh, I'm all, I play out live a lot. I get out of the house and I play. There's a there's a vibrant uh, club scene up there. So I, I do that quite a lot. And um, and I. Uh, uh, like I have a gig this Sunday, I have to be back to play. A gig. I have to you drive better get on the road. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have to drive from Utah to New York State in four days. It's doable, but uh, you know I'm going to try. Uh, but I, anyway, so I'm doing that, and um, I, uh, I I I'm uh, working on the show that's based on my friendship with Todd called Redheaded Friend, and I will send you a CD when it gets. My goal is to get the get a CD pressed up. Also, of course, to get it on the various digital platforms but i will send you uh your old school so i'll send you an actual physical cd if you want one thank you very much and, i would uh, love that and uh, and um and uh i you know i i serve on the school board I, I i do um i got i'm an elected official in my um uh for my public school district i i ran for school board uh two years ago and i got elected because um you know, my son went through the public school system, and and it's a uh, it's a uh, honorable institution. It's and, and uh, I um, so I do that, and um, and uh, uh, you know, for uh, I have various freelance gigs that I do do for to pay the bills, but um, where I'm uh, like proofreading and writing, and and I teach, I teach guitar, and I teach bass, and so I'm I'm uh, I'm quite busy, and uh, but. Um, I do enjoy living where where I'm living, um, and I uh, I will probably be getting down to the south to visit my mom uh, before the end of the year. And uh, she's retired uh, physician in um, in Rome, and uh, yeah. So that's um, but right now all my creative energy is going into getting this. Well, I'm putting together my 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 Indiegogo campaign, but but that's for this show that I'm doing about Todd, which I would love to bring to Atlanta, which I hope to bring to Atlanta, you know, in, uh, in 2020. Um, and, uh, and if I do, we'll definitely talk. I hope we can talk again. I, uh, I would love to actually, I don't think, I mean, we're, we're out of time and I, I you and I could talk another five hours and we haven't even touched the surface of what's going on. Oh but, man. Uh, yeah. It's good. There's no alcohol involved. Too, man, <laughs> we would be. That's true. Maybe we'll pre-record something with a lot of booze, and we'll just you know, and then we'll just <laughs> yeah. do a whole drunk history. That's right. Drunk that's right. History. Well, Robert Burke Warren, thank you so much for being on the show. It was so much fun to hear from you and kind of going down memory lane of Atlanta and where we, you and I grew up. And and the best of luck to you, you. In, in all of your endeavors. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Great I enjoyed it, and we will talk soon, sir. 
hope so. Bye. All right, thanks. Robert Burt Warren, everyone, and thank you very much for tuning into the Manifesto with Billy Brew. Thank you very much, Greg. You are just everything I've ever needed in this radio station. And tune in next week. We're going to have another guy who has Atlanta ties who now lives on the West Coast, uh, Don Knox, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you very much again for tuning in. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week.